Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best change management to you. In this episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton talks with Caroline Keeley, an internationally recognized communication strategist, change facilitator, trainer, and author with over 20 years of experience in the field. Today, Teresa and Caroline discuss how to overcome change management fails and struggles. Welcome to Meet the Expert, a Change Management Review podcast. Meet Caroline Keeley, Principal and Founder of Ingenium Communications. Caroline is an internationally recognized communications strategist, change facilitator, trainer, and author with over 20 years of experience in her field. She is known as a pioneer in exploring the intersection between strategic communications and change and has recently been named Director and Lead Instructor of the new Institute for Strategic Communications and Change at the University of Ottawa's Center for Continuing Education. As principal and founder of Ingenium Communications, Caroline is committed to making a difference in building lasting, meaningful partnerships with her clients. Leveraging her commitment to collaboration and unparalleled ability to turn information into insight, she has worked with organizations such as the Government of the Northwest Territories, Export Development Corporation, the University of Ottawa, the Bank of Canada, and the United Nations to achieve and surpass their business objectives. Caroline is an International Association for Business Communicators All-Star Presenter and winner of a 2016 Gold Quill and Best of the Best Award in Change Communications. A graduate of the Wharton School of Business Executive Program and Leading Organizational Change, Caroline is a certified change management professional. She holds a BA with highest honors in communication and an MA in political science. No further ado, Caroline, welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. Thanks so much, Teresa. It's great to be here. I'm so glad that you could join us today. Um, I've been looking forward to having you on the show for so long. You have so much to offer. And, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to just uh, start with is just if you could give us a little bit of background on how did you get into the change management field? Absolutely, and uh, yes, I'm absolutely delighted that we finally found some time uh, time to get together. I'm a big fan of your podcast. So essentially, I came into the field of change management through the door of communications. I founded my firm, Ingenium Communications, about 16 years ago, and the firm really was focused on strategic communications planning, so that was our niche. And over the years, I realized that, in fact, we were very often called in to work on what appeared to be communication assignments, generally internal communications assignments, but that really were change assignments masquerading as a communications issue. And I became frustrated when I could observe that, in essence, the client was facing a change challenge, and my assignment and my scope was really only looking at one lever, albeit a big one in terms of communications, but that, in fact, to move forward based on their stated goals, they'd have to look at a more integrated perspective in the context of change, not only communications. And so that's where I shifted probably about uh, six or seven years ago into a real passion in exploring change management and looking at communications as one part of that broader spectrum. Well, that's great. I like the way mm-hmm. you say you talked about, you know, taking the communication assignments and they were almost, um, you know, 
wrappers for these change management uh, issues that you were you were exploring. Right. <laughs> yeah, so the, I think that happens quite often because the symptoms that people feel initially when there's a breakdown in change are often communication symptoms, you know, that people mm-hmm. don't seem to be informed, that there's resistance, that there's misalignment. And so I think it's easier for executives to wrap their heads around this as framing it as a communications challenge. It becomes more complicated but probably more meaningful to look at it as essentially a change challenge, which is going to require communications but also other levers to pull on as well. Right, Right, and that, I would guess, would increase your odds of being successful with the client. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's great. And, Caroline, in your opinion, um, what are the latest trends in change communications over the past 10 years? That's a very interesting question. Well, I would start off by observing that I don't think that five years ago that would have even been a question because Mm. even the expression of change communications is really quite recent. Certainly Mm. in in my studies and early experience in in communication, that was never a a particular field. And I think it's one that I'm uh, extremely uh, passionate about because there are certain fit-for-purpose approaches to communications approaches messages and tactics which have to be deployed in a change context and which often are at the root of change breakdown. And so I think that that would be my first observation is just the newness of that very field. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of trends that we see, uh, I would point to three main things that that I would observe. The first is a rise in, in digital. And so we find a lot of clients are looking at social tools and using uh, online digital uh, platforms like Yammer and Wikis to try to bring their, their change communications to life. And, mm-hmm. and that seems to be a, a trend that's growing and, and for good reason, particularly for geographically disparate organizations for which there, uh, there's a lot of efficiency and effectiveness uh, in that. Uh, the other main thing that I observe is a real rise in Agile. And Ooh. as organizations move toward embracing Agile techniques and, and lean techniques, there's a consequence in terms of expectations with respect to communications because uh, there's a focus on this. these uh, orientations like, for example, coffee talks or uh, you know stand-up meetings, the whole move in terms of visualizing your work and having um, very visual sort of Kanban-like uh, posters that are used to try to create shared meaning around what is our change, where is it going, and mm-hmm. implicitly communicating a sense of transparency by virtue of putting this stuff literally up on uh, on a wall. So that's something that I find quite interesting is, is almost a carryover into communications as organizations move toward increasing adoption of agile and lean techniques. And then the third main trend that I would point to is the focus on communities of practice. And, and this, I think, is a really interesting one, is the power of using community as an instrument of change. Mm. So I know you've had Luc Gallopé on uh, as a guest in the, in the past, and, and uh, he's been a researcher who's done a lot of interesting work in this in this area, and one that I'm seeing a lot of organizations trying to either leverage existing communities or build communities as a technique for advancing change. Mm. That sounds really interesting. I, and um, 
they're not those aren't trends that you'd necessarily pay so much attention to in terms of the agile and looking at it from a communication perspective mm-hmm. and then the community of practice from the communication perspective um so I appreciate you bringing those up um sure. and what areas do you see uh often where change communication fails or struggles right. Well, of course, that that tends to be uh, the norm because I think there is truth to the saying that the first casualty of change is communication. People get busy and their instinct often is to make sure that everything is fully buttoned down before they communicate anything. And, of course, that leads to all kinds of uh, problems. So uh, some of the main things that I observe quite consistently and and the number one absolutely far and away has to be the chronic over-reliance on email as a communications channel in change. Mm. And this is something that we come across uh, quite, quite routinely for a bunch of reasons. Of course, it's it's cheap, it's easy, and, and frankly, I think it's, it's relatively easy to hide behind an email, so it's easier to send out an email and hope for the best <laughs> rather than right. meet people face-to-face and deal with some of the more difficult parts of that change. But it is very clear that there's no email is ever going to solve your change problem. And one of our first tasks in trying to get an organization to take change communication seriously is to move beyond email. Uh, Certainly email can be used, but generally it is um, much much too central to a communications model, often to the exclusion of other techniques. And, of course, what we really need is to foster face-to-face communication and opportunities for dialogue and sense-making, which is just not a fit for email. Also, mm-hmm. change happens on an emotional level, and email is not a medium that's well-suited to that. So that's another reason why uh, I'm really not a fan of this tendency to just hit send on an email and hope for the best. Uh, another pattern that I've observed, mainly I would say around uh, assignments that we've worked on related to technology change, is, is what I've come to term the cheerleader effect. And what we see here is that often change leaders and sponsors, and again particularly in technology spaces, tend to fall in love with their change and oversell it. That you know this new CRM platform is going to be the all singing, all dancing solution to our problems. And then invariably, once the change or the technology is deployed, we realize that, in fact, it doesn't have this functionality or it doesn't quite do this uh, that we were hoping for and so on. And so I think this is something that that can be quite dangerous because it's very erosive to trust is Mm. when uh, change leaders fall into this cheerleader trap. And so we would much rather than be very realistic uh, and authentic for example, and saying, okay, this is going to be really great. It's going to offer these three main benefits, but it's not going to be able to do this functionality in phase one, so here's going to be our plan for phase two, something like that, so that the initiative is framed in a realistic way that is going to cultivate trust because trust is really the currency of change communications. And so when we erode it right out of the gate by overselling, we run into problems. I think that's uh, a brilliant point. Okay, well, I imagine you've seen this also in your uh, experience, no doubt. Yeah, and the thing is, is that um, I've seen, like, the change from, say, the 1990s and the early 2000s where you're really mm-hmm. wanting to sell the system just because the system was new um, versus, right. you know, actually coming out and being realistic and telling people just how it is because they get new systems more often. Exactly. 
That's it. Um, so that the cheerleader effect, is, it would be the second one. And then finally, I would say one that, that comes up a lot, and I'm sure that you've seen uh, time and time again, is the black hole effect, where mm-hmm. organizations get into a system where uh, often change leaders or a leadership team are deeply immersed in change, and they lose track of the fact that to the average employee out there sitting in a cubicle, they don't know what's going on. And through these deliberations, which feel like a lot of activity to those who are sitting in these planning leadership meetings, uh, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and sometimes we've even seen months turn into years where employees have no sense of context or information about the change, and yet the change leaders feel very well informed because they have a skewed perspective on the communications landscape since they are in a privileged situation of, of sitting in these meetings. And so we often when we come into new uh, projects, we will ask the change leaders, well, if I was an average employee sitting in, in your organization, what is it that I know about this change and when did I last get my update? Uh-huh. And, and almost universally, this leads to a big pause <laughs> and then uh, the change sponsor realizes, oh yeah, actually that was like eight months ago that we communicated something. And of course, in this black hole, uh, there's just an environment that's ripe for misalignment, for conflict, for disengagement, for misinformation, in which case we are now in a deficit situation from a communications perspective. Rather than starting from the ground floor, we have dug ourselves into the basement and we have to get uh, our way back in terms of even a baseline by, for example, clarifying miscommunication or, or dealing with rumors that have taken hold. So, so those, I think... Um, would solve a lot of problems if people did not over-rely on email, if they toned down their instinct to uh, have this cheerleader effect posture, and finally uh, really avoid the black hole effect like the plague. <laughs> I think that's good <laughs> advice. <laughs> yes. And then I'd be unemployed if people did these things. <laughs> I know, and I think some of them... Um you know, some of them happen inadvertently just because of the politics, right, or the organizational dynamics. So as change practitioners, it's it's so important for us to remember these three things uh, so we don't fall into into our own black hole. Yeah, and also I think what I find quite interesting is there is probably by virtue of change management being a relatively young field, I think Mm -hmm. some people have the notion that communications is one thing over here and change management is another thing over there and mm-hmm. that these are two separate functions with two separate teams. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, that leads to, to difficulties. And so that's one of the first things that we like to sort of position is, for example, if we're writing a change management strategy, we would be looking at the broad categories of activity of governance, communications, engagement, organizational design, training, and sustainment so mm-hmm. that communication lives in its natural habitat of a change management continuum. Mm. And so this is where I think some of these communication symptoms come into because people assume it's somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And just, it may just, be. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. No, I was just uh, observing that I think that's in a chaotic emergent environment where people are trying to wrap their heads around change, they just naturally gravitationally tend to move away from thinking about 
communications or they just assume that they've delegated that to some other function rather than thinking about it in an integrated fashion. Mm. You know, just out of curiosity, um, mm-hmm. kind of aligned with, with this point, you mentioned that there's, you know, sometimes two separate teams, the change team, the communications, the change communications right. team. And then often I've, I've um, you know, then also experienced corporate communications uh, yeah. also in the triad. Can you just say a little bit about how you engage corporate communications into this type of project work? Because a lot of people at mm-hmm. the ACMP Global Conference last week, um, you know, had been talking to me about the challenge of, you know, these all these groups kind of working together. Yes, and that's very interesting because when I presented on change communications to the ACMP World Conference last year, mm-hmm. I had a whole lineup of people with questions, and every single person had exactly the same question, which was precisely this. How ah. is change management supposed to collaborate with communication and avoid the very common tendency where these functions are going off in different directions? Mm-hmm. And so my bias is that um, working in a collaborative way, we, we tend to work through, for example, change management planning through workshops where form follows function. So if we want an integrated collaborative approach, then we have to work that way. And so we would bring these folks into the organization and make it clear what the end state is and what are the different component parts and, and critically how they fit together. Mm-hmm. I have yet to find a sort of plug-and-play standard approach because it tends to differ by organization. So, for example, some change management practitioners we work with in-house have a communications background. They're very well suited to doing the communications component. In other cases, there isn't that uh, internal capability, in which case we need to rely on the corporate comms folks, mm-hmm. in which case we have to try to bring them along to thinking from a change management perspective because communications people like myself are wired generally to put a positive spin on things. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is kind of an interesting cultural issue that we run into that that we're less inclined to say have a workshop and have resistance bubble up to the surface and that that be a good thing because we've been conditioned often in an external communications model to try to put the most positive spin on things possible. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes there needs to be a bit of a re-socialization here as to what change communications is all about and get people to be comfortable with the fact that that, by very nature, is quite a different stance, where, in fact, Mm -hmm. it's going to be much more messy, much less controlled, Mm -hmm. much more about sense-making rather than information dissemination. And so try to socialize those ideas so that we're making sure that we're collaborating with our corporate comms colleagues on the correct playing field. Otherwise, we get into this sort of tell-and-sell approach which is incongruent with the change management strategy. Right. Wow, that's mm-hmm. really helpful. Um, I hope I hope people listen to this because that that answer is very specific and yet um, lays out the context for the question real well. I, I appreciate you taking the time to to answer that one. Yes, no, um, no. Um, so we were talking about um, you know places where you often see change communication fail or struggle. And 
One right. of the things I wanted to follow up on with that question was really, you know, what do you recommend to address these points of weakness? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that is a good question. So I think a, a great place to start is just to recognize the mission-critical importance of the change communications function and to kind of go back to first principles in that field. So the first one is that we have got to start with the why and making sure that the why behind the change is very clearly understood and articulated and connects to felt need. You know, it's often not Mm -hmm. enough to just intellectually explain why we have to change. We have to then also get into the felt need in your gut that the employee can realize that the status quo is no longer uh, going to be viable, or in fact that the remedy is less expensive than the status quo, in which case I'm open uh, for that change. Mm-hmm. And almost universally, when we're called in for a change communications assignment, it's because the the why behind the change has either not been fully articulated or communicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next is that we like to think of communications as the drumbeat of change. And so when we're looking at the pace of change, to think about how can communications be positioned as a reassuring, predictable touch point throughout the change that keeps the cadence of your transformation. So typically thinking about more communication at the front end of an initiative than perhaps more regular um, drumbeat of communications on a longer-term initiative and then a ramp-up at at a go-live stage, for example. And so that concept in terms of thinking about planning your communications and keeping the rhythm of change Um, I think is an important consideration. And then I would say the the big um, orientation has to be to focus on authentic engagement and to work with your executives to be in a place where they are comfortable with that degree of authenticity and dialogue and conversation. You know, I really believe this, this idea that conversation is the smallest unit of change. And so what we want to do is have multiple on ramps for people to communicate in a way that is going to be truly authentic and almost certainly is going to be difficult for executives to hear. So you almost have to prepare the conditions for this kind of approach to work because the collaboration and the conversation is going to get you to commitment, but it's it's going to cost you time and it's going to cost you control. So that Mm. conversation has to be had with senior leaders uh, and change sponsors at the get-go because they generally, in my experience, tend to be much more comfortable with the sort of lectern posture of imparting information and less comfortable with the idea of inviting meaningful and, and perhaps challenging conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I found interesting um, was your point about the drumbeat of change. and. Right. Um, just in my experience from the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s in terms of communication planning, um, you know, once you had your messages done, then it was almost like a mathematical equation in terms of determining frequency of which yes, type of vehicle right. over time, and it just was a straight line. And what I hear you talking yes. about is, you know, really make sure that this isn't, cadence with, you know, the life cycle and the pulse of the project as well. Exactly. That's it. And and this is where, you know, I think probably 
in uh, Canada, our, our biggest management guru is Henry Mintzberg, and he has mm-hmm. this lovely concept that strategy walks on two feet. One is deliberate, and the other is emergent. And mm. I think we've relatively struggled with that second foot, if you like, because exactly as you described, we, we would have a very planned and intentional approach to communication, which mm-hmm. is fine. But, of course, the problem is in change projects, things are changing all the time. So we have to be able to cope with that. And so this idea of the drumbeat has more fluidity that you've got to kind of dance with wherever you're ending up and, and make sure that the communication is going to match that rhythm in a way that you probably could not predict when you first did your planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. And I really so like that's it. my plug for Canada. <laughs> yeah. Go, <laughs> so, Henry. Um you know, the other thing that was really interesting to me, Caroline, was, you know, your point around uh, having those executive conversations and the fact that yeah. they need help realizing they're going to lose control um, exactly. in order to be, you know, effective. Um, yeah. What do they usually say to you when you make that statement? Well, you know, uh, it depends. I would say we've had a few sponsors that we work with that are open to that, and they've had the life experience of seeing that a command and control style is probably not going to work. Others are quite insistent on maintaining control and sticking to their comfort level, and sometimes we just have to get them to try that and then pick up the pieces afterwards and say, okay, well, <laughs> we want to shift approach and, and try something different next time. So so there's not been the sort of hard and fast uh, experience there, but where possible, if we can try to uh, equip our sponsors, and, and there is a bit of an education component there in terms of what is the communication approach that is going to give them the best chances of success, then it's a matter of experience and personality as to whether the executive chooses to try that first or if they get to it only, say, in a second or third try. Mhm. Makes sense. Makes mm-hmm. sense. So we're almost out of time, but I have one sure. uh, last question for you here, um, and that is, you know, what's the one thing that you'd like our listeners to take away from this discussion? Yeah, that's a really uh, a, a big and an important question. I think it, it probably would be to just. Uh, recognize that communication is essentially the lifeblood of your change. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, nothing changes without communicating. And so I'd really like people to think about communication as a centerpiece of their change model as opposed to something that's bolted on or just added when things go sideways. Rather, Mm -hmm. it's really integral at the heart of your change initiative. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great a great lesson learned for people to think about. Um, well, Caroline, thank you so much for your time on the podcast, and for those of you who have re- you know really um, heard about Caroline or just learning about her and her work, you can see more at www.ingeniumcommunications.com, and she's worked hard to make that site uh, very informative. So there's lots of good stuff there that you can um, download and, and learn. And I would recommend that you take a take a visit uh, and see what that's all about. So Caroline, thank you very much for your time. And I hope you'll come back sometime to update us on other organizational communication trends that you're 
that you're observing and experiencing. Absolutely, and thanks so much, Teresa, for the invitation. It's been there lots of fun participating, and I look forward to following your uh, next podcast editions. Okay, great. Have a great day. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.